0: i am rosanna lockwood uncensored tonight vegan campaigners are calling for prince william to incentivize the plant-powered revolution as part of his Earthshot prize but what will happen to rural jobs in this brave new green world we've got best-selling vegan chefs the bosch boys they'll be going head-to-head with one of the nation's favorite farmers disney's latest snow white says her version doesn't need some weird prince charming stalking her and she's getting roasted for that online so should modern fairy tales leave feminism to the real world and he was the interviewer to the stars lined up to talk to sir michael parkinson will be paying our own tribute to that true giant of british television
1: live from the news building in london this is piers morgan uncensored with rosanna lockwood
0: Good evening, welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored with me, Rosanna Lockard, once again in the chair for Piers. And I want to start the show tonight by addressing my interview with Graham Linehan last night. It went out live, but we aren't repeating it. And that's not because of censorship, not because we're seeking to deplatform anyone. One of the reasons for Talk TV's existence is to hear from all sides of the argument. We don't hide from sensitive topics, we believe in free speech, we relish robust debate but it's also important for us to stay within the parameters of tried and trusted principles around broadcasting. Now, others may seek to deliberately abuse or undermine those rules. We don't. We view what we do coming into your home each and every day as a privilege and we take that responsibility very seriously and we'll continue to do so. Now, I have also received a great deal of personal abuse across social media over the past 24 hours, so there's a few things I'd like to make clear. I'm a journalist, but of course, I have my own deeply felt personal views and they don't necessarily chime with everyone I interview or even everyone I work with here at Talk TV. Just ask peers or pretty much anyone else. But no one here has ever tried to influence the way I work. No one's tried to censor my thoughts or my beliefs. In fact, they've only ever given me free reign to be who I am, uncensored, if you will. I'm in this chair doing exactly that. So I'll continue to challenge. I'm gonna to continue to call that hypocrisy, bullying, misinformation wherever or whenever i see it so let's keep debating let's keep discussing these issues big or small that really matter to the world but for pretty sake let's keep it civilized well let's move to some other more important stuff going on in the world for that i'm joined by my thursday night politics pack pleased to say talk tv contributor Paul roane edrian joins us talk tv's international editor isabel Oakshot, and talk tv presenter richard tice all three of you Good to see you as ever. Good evening. And we've got some pretty chunky topics to get into. Can I say for once? (laughs) (laughs) The Saudi Crown Prince visit to the United Kingdom, Mohammed bin Salman, of course. Now, he is due to visit. Downing Street says Rishi Sunak has shared a call with him. Look forward to meeting in person at the earliest possible opportunity. Now, we've known about this visit for some months. Of course, it raises debate and questions every time because of Saudi Arabia's human rights record very different approach to society than our own uh, but we are necessarily reliant on them for a number of reasons paula do you think it's right to roll out the red carpet
2: so no i don't Um, i'm deeply disturbed and i'm deeply disturbed let me make this clear at a political level because do i love dubai yes i do (laughs) would you want to call me a hypocrite whilst i sit there on my sun lounger yes you would But I'm not talking about the Emiratis. I'm not talking about the people of Dubai. I'm talking about a ruler of a kingdom who the FBI have told us. i
3: oh, just, be, yeah, sorry, it, Paula, gotta, I think we've got a bit of a confusion here because we're talking about Saudi, oh, not the UAE. Me. <laughs> forgive me.
4: Oh, yeah. Forgive me. I've got confused. Not. No, you haven't. Yeah, no, I was right. just about to tell so, you. Uh, so they're
3: very, very <laughs> different. It's my
2: last um, day before I go on, she's <laughs> on. <laughs> Are you going to Dubai on holiday, Paula? Uh, yeah, I'm not, but this is where I am. She's so having a moment. I am having a moment. So let
3: me pick up on that. But no, is the answer
2: to that question. you
3: probably feel even more strongly. Um, about whether or not the leader of Saudi should come than than UAE leaders because they are very, very different regimes. And people feel deeply about this and of course they do because some of the human rights atrocities in Saudi are truly horrific. You know, we will all remember uh, the Khashoggi murder which sent shockwaves around the world, Mm. clear links with the leadership there. However, the FBI
2: report tells us
3: However, that. however, that was many years ago. Uh, that is not to say that there are not still serious human rights abuses in Saudi. They are still, you know, their form of justice, particularly uh, outside Riyadh... Isabel, when you um, say many, pretty, many years is, ago, is, is what are we pretty, talking about? 2018, pretty 2019? Medieval. So let me, let me continue about why... I think that the government, the UK government is doing the right thing here. Um, we are, as you said, dependent on Saudi, uh, but much more importantly, Saudi is modernising. Uh, under MBS's leadership, huge changes are taking place. It's not right across the mm. country, but there are big visions for Saudi under their Vision 2030 thing. They've got huge plans to mm. change. And on a day-to-day basis, things are dramatically improving so for example the yeah. integration of women in society also we need them you know they are one of our biggest defense export clients as mm. it were um, so i think this is the Isabel right Isabelle is to putting do. it
2: nicely but she's talking about selling weapons
3: i, that's, that's I, what, I yeah okay that's don't even trying to put it nicely that is one of our main industries you it know, really contributes and, a huge amount to Richard. our economy
5: and in, in return for which also we are reliant on their um, their oil they are a huge, huge exporter to us, and that's absolutely critical. And mm. we're not energy self-reliant. We could be, we should be, but we're not. Mm. They're a very important trading partner. And look, all countries make mistakes. All leaders make mm. uh, mistakes. And, and what happened with Chicago was horrific. Mm. But nevertheless, we've made terrible mistakes in the UK. Yeah. The, you know, The US has made terrible mistakes. We have to learn from them, and we have to accept them, and then move on. And I think that actually this is the right thing to do. They are our most important Middle Eastern partner. Mm. And we're always going to have differences. But as Isabel says, they are making progress. Mm-hmm. and they are modernising, and things happen at different speeds.
0: I listen, look, you've all brought up some really important points. I used to be a Middle East-based journalist, based in the UAE, based in Dubai. I covered Saudi a lot. I went to Saudi many times. I've seen the modernization. Isabel's mm-hmm. talked about. I was there the day that women were allowed to drive. Mm-hmm. First time I visited, I was wearing a full abaya and hijab. The second yeah. time I visited, no, no um, hijab anymore. I have seen the changes that are taking place, but I have also seen the effects of £9.7 billion worth of UK arms sent to the Saudi coalition, the Saudi Arabians are bombing Yemen uh, frequently. These are all things that need to be factored in when we think about our relationship with them. Yes, they are a petrol exporting state, oil exporting, so we do need them as well. So there's a lot tied up in this. There's defence, there's energy, uh, there's morality. I was just going to add
2: morality to that. Um, And social injustice. You know, at what stage do we start saying no thank you? Well, we I, uh, I what saying we do suggest, that? To be honest, and I we And the question was, do we roll out the red carpet? I'm not focus, suggesting let's... that we don't talk to people we don't disagree with. You have to do that uh, at a diplomatic level, you have to do that. But the question was should we be rolling out the red carpet? And the answer well, is yeah. no. I
3: mean, they would certainly roll out the red carpet to us. You know, they are they know how to do hospitality and some. Look, this is diplomacy. You don't just shabbily, you know, come, uh, let them come in and not have a proper ceremony. If we're going to do this, we do it properly. We do roll out the red carpet. Everybody knows the differences in the way that we approach criminal justice. And, by the way, we don't dismember people. We don't stone women for adultery. But our own criminal justice
2: system or is whip quite frankly, stole, uh, quite frankly stole a
3: disgrace. It. Every week goes past, there are awful stories, a terrible miscarriage of justice that we carried a, a big discussion on our um, talk mm. TV last night. So, we, we, you know, we're not saints, are we? Yes,
2: but we, we it's, it's correct yeah. that we're not saints, but we don't abide by the wrong, do we? We try to correct the wrong. Mm.
3: Well, I think that sometimes I, 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 we don't have any basis I, I,
5: I, we, for the moral we, high ground. Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, you talk about social injustice. Some of the social injustices here in the UK, I suggest we focus on those. Yeah. And, um, things that we can do. Things change. that we, we actually can do. You're talking
2: down Let's, our country, Richard. Is that well, what's happening we, is We've that got plenty of our own here? issues,
5: but I just think this is a, a really significant trading partner. Mm. They are modernising, and we can, help, we can help bring them forward, and they mm. will do things at their own pace.
0: Let's move on to another really thorny and difficult geopolitical topic, shall we? Uh, Ukraine and NATO. Uh, Of course, the war drags on in Ukraine and everyone wants to see the end of it. But whenever any brings up the idea of any kind of peace being brokered on the idea of Ukraine sort of losing some of its land to Russia, it's a very sensitive issue. One that I don't agree with personally, but Stian Jensen, Chief of Staff to the Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, this is all to do with NATO, of course, he said in a meeting a few days ago, he suggested about this idea of surrendering territory and then he's been lambasted for that, Mm. for even bringing it up. Mm. Um, Ukrainians have uh, reacted angrily to that and they've since sort of walked back on their comments because that is pretty major, isn't it, coming from somebody within NATO?
2: Well, it's major, not not only because of the... the, the the suggestion you know what it would mean to Ukraine but it's been suggested before and the backlash that, you know, the various different people who have raised it before, why are we even going there anymore? It's, you know, President Zelensky has made it very clear. It is not up for discussion, the suggestion, that they could relinquish any of their territory. And why should they? And it's setting a very dangerous president, um, president, as far as I'm concerned, for NATO to even be suggesting
0: that that's a possibility. Let's listen to President Zelensky saying this to Piers Morgan.
6: Will you ever contemplate doing any kind of deal which
1: involves Ukraine giving up territory to
6: Russia.
1: We are not prepared to exchange or trade the territory of the independent state of Ukraine. We have no right for this. First of all, we are the government because this land belongs to Ukrainian people.
0: I mean, Isabel, we can understand how Ukrainians feel about it, certainly. Absolutely. Um, I, and I think to put the remarks in context, and that's
3: not to say they were the right thing to say, he was outlining a number of scenarios at a think tank event. This wasn't some kind of pronouncement of NATO policy at the highest level. He was saying, here are some scenarios under which this dreadful war might somehow come to the end. Uh, but it's not going to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's just, as you said, President Zelensky has made that very clear. Um, in reality, this war has gone on for a lot longer, really, than people um, perhaps widely realize. And I was out in Ukraine in about 2018 uh, at the front line of what was already a war then, but a long war of attrition. And my concern uh, is that this just goes on in, almost indefinitely, you know, mm. with both sides refusing to to, to surrender effectively. Um, and so I guess the interesting part of this is, how does this come to an end? It's not going to end by the seeding of substantial amount of territory.
0: No, it's not. Look, let's move on and just talk quickly about the World Cup, shall we? Uh, Lighten things up, of course, England through to the final on Sunday with, uh, they're going to be playing Spain. Um, Richard, what do you make of the fact that Prince of Wales is not going to be going? He's the president of the Football Association. He's not going to be flying out. He's currently on holiday too far.
5: Look, the reality is it's not going to change the result, is it? And he's, whatever he does, I mean, he's going to be criticised either way. If he does go, people will say, oh, it's not sort of uh, showing leadership in terms of, of, of the whole climate debate. If he doesn't go, he, he can't win. Um, it doesn't give me a problem at all. Uh, I think they're doing amazingly well, a fantastic chance of winning a World Cup mm-hmm. and the ladies leading the way. And that's to be celebrated. And wherever it is, he'll be watching it. I think just give him a break.
0: Piers has tweeted this evening that he thinks uh, the Prince of Wales would go if it was the men's World Cup final. Do you agree with that,
3: mm-hmm. Paula? Absolutely. Well, I there do. would have I been just... a lot of a bigger build-up, wouldn't there, to be
2: fair, and there would have been a lot more advanced well, planning you, for you, it. Well, you say that, but, well, you know, this is, a, this is something that happens every four years. He's the president of the FA. The date would have been penciled in his diary. This date is not going to come as a surprise to him. So the fact that... He's not there. I think he's incredibly disappointed. Oh. Will the lionesses to do? Uh, and I mean, one of those things is the president of the FA is to support footballers, and I he's mean. not doing that. Now, will the lionesses be disappointed? No, they won't. I don't think they'll because care. they'll be no. used to it. They'll be used to be being disappointed by men talking the talk and failing to walk the walk. I, th- oh. I think Pierce
5: is wrong. Actually, <laughs> I don't think he would have gone if it was the men's. Uh, that's my own thing. You know, he's a, he's a family man. He's very So, busy. do you think
2: it's a problem with Australia, then?
0: Just the distance. Well, I mean, jet lag, just, come on, it's, it's a long it's way. To visit it's just, Australia. It's just the distance. Issues, Australia's a great they? country. Yeah.
5: But you just... You can't do everything in life. And mm. he can't do everything. And, likewise, yeah, so Rishi Sunak. Is, I want Rishi Sunak it? to stay here... And sort out the challenges of this country. Yeah, not frankly. globetrotting. globe
0: trotting. Globe trot. Well, you get you know globe trots up to Scotland in the jet and gets uh, abused for that. That'll so it like uh, goes looking way. for an
5: invite himself. Maybe sort of try to ah. fill those seats. I think he's on a plane today, <laughs>
0: but maybe not to Australia. Look, Pac, thank you very much. Stay with us. Towards the end of the show, we'll be coming back to you. But uncensored next tonight. Disney's latest Snow White is being accused of wanting to kill off the weird Prince Charming. We'll debate fairy tale feminism next.
6: Prime Minister,
7: President Trump,
6: Mr. President, First Lady, Stormy Daniels, Jordan Peterson, welcome. All these people protesting just don't get it. Many of them don't. Isn't that slightly patronizing?
7: When you're going through the treatments,
5: you have some tears. God, I'm such a softy.
7: I'm not a performing (laughs) monkey. Come
1: on, Brian! And it's something that really hurt me because they doubt of my words.
8: A woman is me. A woman is somebody whose breasts hang down to her stomach.
7: Thought the marginalized were supposed to have the voice. I've been a terrible liar. La la la. You're being a Karen.
6: Pass Morgan on Sunset!
1: <laughs> From kiss condoms to
7: kiss caskets, we'll get you coming and we'll get you going. I think <laughs> it's only room for one king, man. You
4: know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: Is your reminder that you can vote for Piers Morgan Uncensored in the National Television Awards by going online and having your say at NationalTVAwards.com or by scanning this code on your screen. Now hold your phone up to the screen as say you're taking a picture and it will automatically take you to that voting site. Piers is up for a gong for best TV interview and we all know he would love to add to that trophy collection so do get voting. Now, a few weeks back, you might remember Disney's new Snow White hit, the headlines for getting rid of seven dwarfs and replacing them with average-sized magical creatures. Piers and his guests at the time weren't
6: happy. Behind-the-scenes pictures from Disney's live-action remake of Snow White were this weekend, and there appears to be a sizable problem. Where are the
7: dwarfs? These are roles made for actors of my stature. I can't go out for the Harrison Ford or the George Clooney roles because that's not for me. Right. And now it's taken away? I don't feel that's right.
0: Well, now that very same production has caused controversy after the actress who plays Snow White said this about Prince Charming. In an interview, Rachel Ziegler saying the original cartoon came out in 1937 and very evidently so. There is a big focus on her love story with a guy literally stalking her. How weird. Well, we have a different approach to what a lot of people will assume is a love story because we cast a guy in the movie, but it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. Well, there has been inevitable backlash online. Fans accusing Disney of inserting unnecessary feminism into classic fairy tales. Joining me now to debate this is the host of Tommy Larin's fearless on Outkick, Tommy Larin. Hi, Tommy. I'm from New York, the brand marketing consumer expert and founder and chief soothsayer from Sooth, Ian Bear. Once again, great to see you both. Uh, Tommy, come on, give us your take on this. Uh, Disney just messing with the classics?
8: Yeah, they certainly are. Now, listen, if Disney wants to make more woke films that tank at the box office, they are more than welcome to do that. But maybe think of an original idea, maybe not destroy a classic from my childhood and put an actress in there that not only hates the plot and the storyline of the movie she's in, but also seemingly hates Snow White, the character herself. I mean, that's one interview clip that you read the quote from, but she's gone on to talk about this film numerous times, how she once thought Snow White was creepy. She doesn't like the prince. She thinks she should get paid more because she has to wear that dress. She should get paid for streaming for every hour. She has to wear the dress. I mean, talk about biting the hand that feeds you. Not only are you being casted in a classic film to remake it, but you don't seemingly like your own character. So she comes off as an insufferable whiny brat. And that's why people are so annoyed beyond just them inserting feminism. I think we expect that at this point, but why do you have to mess with a classic, especially with someone who doesn't even seem to like her own character. Okay, interesting. I hear
0: your take on her and the interview she's giving and the type of sort of the way she's coming across. But you say that you're kind of used to feminism being inserted into Disney movies. Now, Ian, uh, it's a smart marketing move, isn't it?
7: Well, uh, any move is a smart marketing move that resonates with the people who are putting revenue uh, against your product. Look, the reality is Disney has been... uh, doing very inclusive casting for decades now. Go back to the 1980s, and that's really when they turned the corner, and that formula of damsels in distress got replaced with these more heroic uh, feminine characters, beginning with Ariel back then, but certainly all the Disney princesses ever since have really been triumphant females. So it's not a shock to see Disney pivot from you know 19th century german source material <laughs> right. to something that they believe is going to resonate with with the audience uh of course you know people will vote with their wallets
0: right uh, tommy 19th century german source material can you really blame disney for wanting to court a modern audience gen z and younger these girls they think differently they act differently they have dis- different aspirations in life
8: yeah, it's okay to modernize things, but if you have such an issue with the original fairy tale and the original storyline, maybe instead of remaking it, you just make a different movie. I don't think that's too much to ask for, but furthermore, listen, you can have female characters that are empowered, that do great things, that are that are heroines. I mean, that's fantastic. I don't think anybody has an issue with it, but you don't have to disparage men in the process. You don't have to call Prince Charming a stalker. You don't have to say that you could just eliminate him from the whole movie. I mean, there is a space where you can have strong, females and strong males it's called the real world or you know at least some places it still exists maybe only here in Nashville Tennessee and others (laughs) but it's it's okay to do both and you don't have to make men seem emasculated and puny to make women seem strong and you don't have to eliminate them altogether, as this actress has actually suggested well
0: okay uh ian what about the controversy that this film has received online it's clearly not coming from the young women it's marketed at in fact it seems to be coming from a a male demographic
7: well yeah well I, i think it's interesting that there's been so much backlash where this is concerned yet not really the same kind of backlash around the barbie movie which has certainly taken a different point of view you know Most people who grew up with Barbie dolls, when you opened that package, it didn't immediately start speaking out against the patriarchy, (laughs) right? Yet, Yet the Barbie movie we see today takes quite a feminist stance and a more inclusive stance than we've generally seen associated with the character. So, you know, this is Disney's intellectual property. They can do what they want with it. People are going to choose to spend their money on it or not. It, it's it's not really a matter of, of moral judgment. You know, entertainment and art is is created to be received and appreciated by an audience. And this is commercial art. This isn't to hang in a museum. Mm. It's going to succeed or fail on that merit.
0: And the Barbie movie you brought up, of course, a really fast grossing billion dollar movie for a female director, beating all expectations and all that controversy. Tommy, so I wanna to come back to you because you made a really good point there about strong men and strong women. Why do you have to crush one to have the other? And I was thinking about the James Bond franchise. You know, there's often this mooted idea that women will suddenly be stepping in to play Bond. We've obviously got a lot of female characters in that now. Do you think that's been to James Bond's detriment or do you think it's been a success the way they've modernized that?
8: Uh, I think that the numbers will speak for themselves on that. Uh, And again, when you have a franchise that you have created around a James Bond character who is a strong male character, You don't need to go and then replace James Bond with a female. You can have other strong females. But what is this process now where it's like in order to be inclusive, you have to completely destroy storylines, completely destroy franchises. I don't believe in that. I don't think that consumers believe in that either. You know, there is a way to modernize things. There's a way to bring in inclusivity and diversity. But you don't have to completely destroy the concept in order to do that. And that's why, you know, going back to the Barbie movie, I didn't have an issue with the Barbie movie because it's what I expected right i've always looked at barbie as a female empowerment tool i thought it was a women by women for women didn't see an issue with it it's when they go and they try to monkey with other things where it doesn't belong that it just comes off as disingenuous and the consumer i don't think they're going to buy it i don't think they're going to watch it i don't think they're going to like it no well, they certainly watch barbie look tommy ian thanks so much on that we're going to stay
0: with the uh, topic of movies and hollywood now but talk about a different film another film causing a bit of controversy do stay with us both of you this week is bradley cooper's maestro in it the non-jewish actor plays composer leonard bernstein who was jewish with the aid of a prosthetic nose now critics say it amounts to jew face and that only jewish actors should play jewish characters to talk more about this let's bring in former senior rabbi to reform judaism lauriana klausner Thank you very much for making time for us. It's a sensitive issue, this one, so I'm really pleased you could speak to us on this. Um, A lot of people saying this is totally wrong that Bradley Cooper is wearing a prosthesis for this film and he shouldn't be cast because he's not Jewish. What do you think?
4: I think they're two separate issues. He's gone for, I think it's absolutely fine. He's gone for authenticity. And actually, Leonard Bernstein had a very long nose. If so, I just thought I'd do a profile of myself. I have quite a distinctive profile. If someone in my fantasy were to ever be me, they would need to put on an extra nose. Or if I saw a teeny nose, I'd be thinking something is wrong here. So I think it's fine that they've gone for authenticity. And the family said, yes, our dad did have a big, nice nose. So I don't think it has to be anti-Semitic at all. And it is a separate issue from whether Jews have to act Jews. And I do also not think that Jews need to act Jews because I want actors to imagine and identify what's it like to be that person. And I do not think that Jews have to act Jews because I really want other people to understand what it's like being Jewish.
0: Um, somebody that doesn't agree is David a uh, famous comedian here in the UK, of course. Um, he said another day, another film TV show play in which a famous Jew is played by a non-Jew. I have talked and written about this many times about how it's a question of not acting, but of context. Minority casting being presently dominated by the notion of authenticity. The question is why that doesn't apply to Jews and what that means for how people see Jews. What did you make of those comments?
4: Well, I think David is brilliant. Um, And his book is fantastic on anti-Semitism, but I don't agree with him on the acting thing. And we've actually disagreed on this before, uh, because I think that if someone is a great actor, part of their greatness is to act something different. And being Jewish is very different than pretending to be a person of colour or a different sexuality. Um, So I think it's absolutely fine. And it seems to me that he's done a beautiful job.
0: And the family of Lena Bernstein, his uh, uh, Jamie Alexander and Nina Bernstein said that uh, Bradley Cooper involved the three of them along every step of the amazing journey. They fully support the uh, the film and the way it's been done as well. They don't want to see any misrepresentations or misunderstandings of the efforts coming to you Ian. Do you think people will look past this or in fact whether it will play into the box office success of this film?
7: I, I don't really see it having much of an impact at the box office. Uh, I. Look, we we have seen people of various ethnic and religious backgrounds play every sort of role possible. Certainly, lots of Jewish actors have played uh, uh, people of other religions and ethnicities over the years. Uh, this to me seems like a, a controversy that's uh that's misplaced and and you know, prosthetic noses uh, on on character roles. Those happen all the time. It, it helps you distance yourself from the fact that you're watching Bradley Cooper. I think people are gonna judge the film on its own merits and I think that'll determine its commercial success.
8: Tommy, any thoughts? Yeah, it sounds like we're all in agreement. So this is a wonderful day. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. There's a reason why it's called acting because people are not themselves. They play other people. They play other characters and other scenarios and other walks of life. And that is the point of acting. So I think this is a lot of faux outrage. And I agree with the previous commentators. I see no issue with this. I think it's people splitting hairs, looking for something to be offended and outraged by. And as you said, misplaced anger here. Let's just enjoy art for what it is. We don't need to nitpick every little little part of it and try to be offended by things that really are not meant to be offensive and they're not designed to be offensive and most people probably wouldn't find offensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rabbi Laura, sorry, you wanted to add something.
4: Well, I think it's worth thinking about two things. One is what's the distress? And there is a serious distress that there is still anti-Jewish hatred. Mm. But most importantly, If you assume good intent, if you assume that someone's saying something or asking something that you might find problematic, as a Jewish person, you pointed out, the vast majority of people say, oh, I didn't realise. Because actually most people either don't care about people being Jewish or we're quite interesting, really.
0: Rabbi Laura, really interesting last points. Tommy and Ian, thank you too. Interesting segment there on Hollywood. And are we going to go watch those movies? I think the box office will have the answers. Uncensored next tonight. Vegans are calling for Prince William to help incentivise their, quote, plant-powered revolution. Should the next king give royal approval to a way of life that, some are saying, could seriously damage the livelihoods of our farmers? We're going to be debating that next. Welcome back to Uncensored. Now, celebrities have today signed an open letter asking Prince William to use his climate change awards, they're called the Earthshot Prize, to incentivize a plant-powered revolution by adding a special vegan category. Now, A-listers signing that letter include Olivia Colman, Sharon Osbourne, our very own, and Dame Emma Thompson. They've said the very preservation of the planet is at stake. Critics, however, warn that a rapid shift to plant-based foodstuffs could have devastating effects for the rural economy. So should the future king give his royal approval to veganism, or is this something he should just stay clear of? Joining me to discuss all this, YouTube stars and best-selling vegan authors Henry Firth and Ian Theesby, also known as the Bosch Boys, and from Wales, farmer Gareth Wynne-Jones also joins us. Gareth, as you're sitting there, very kindly for us this evening. Thank you. I will start with you. Start off by telling us a little bit about what you farm.
6: Yeah, so um, we're a beef and sheep operation up on the Carnelli mountain range. My family's been on the same land for 375 years, producing food in a very sustainable, regenerative and um, ethical way.
0: Okay, Um, so what do you make of this idea that the Prince of Wales is being sort of pressured to kind of lean more into veganism and make it one of the staples of his sort of awards of green economy? I mean, do you think that veganism poses a threat to farmers like you?
6: Not really, no. They're about 3% of the population. And uh, we can see a lot of the businesses dropping off a, a cliff, just look at some of the you know, the shares in things like uh, Beyond Meat and uh, oat milk or oatly, whatever they are. Uh, yeah, it's a joke. People are starting to find uh, the truth about all this processed rubbish. And um, it's, it's, you know, real food, balanced food, eat local, eat su- seasonal, uh, sustainable and food that's pre- produced in a regenerative way. It, it's easy.
0: Now you're talking about some of those processed um, companies, you know, we've talked about it on the show before, the vegan bubble, whether or not it's bursting, Uh, companies like Beyond Meat, uh, Oatly, other companies like that, but there's other ways to be vegan, aren't there? You don't have to eat the processed stuff, you can eat just some soybeans and some carrots if you want to.
6: Yeah, that's not a problem, carry on, but they will need a farmer every day, every vegan will need a farmer, you know? Um, doesn't matter what your diet is, you are gonna need a farmer. I think we have to look at where we live, our climate. We've got a great temperate climate in this country, and you know, we've got a lot of marginal land, which is great for growing grass to produce fantastic protein that comes from beef and lamb. And um, you know, that's the same sensible option. We're hunter-gatherers, we have been since day dot. And you know what, if, if you wanna be vegan, if you wanna be vegetarian, pescatarian, flexitarian carnivore, kind of that's a personal choice. I, I, I will never ever take that away from anybody. But don't mislead people to believe that you're gonna save the planet on a vegan diet because that's rubbish. And I will tell you as a farmer, that grows the majority of the food to feed my family, I know that a lot more creatures will die for me to get my veg and salad on my plate than me to get my meat. Why, and is,
0: why, why is that? Why will more creatures die, Gareth, in your mind?
6: Well, how much of your own food have you ever grown?
0: Very, very little. I grow tomatoes and chillies exactly. in my garden.
6: Exactly, and that's the reason why. So, every time we're growing our carrots, our peas, we'll be have to protect them from our squirrels, our mice, the insect life. There will be thousands of creatures dying for us to get the veg and to get the salads onto our plates. But you kill one cow and that will feed many families for many months. So, mm. the best ethical way, you know, to be vegan is to kill a cow, you know. Eat a plant-based diet. Let me finish. Eat a plant-based diet because that cow is eating nothing but grass and stick it in your freezer and that will have the less death toll than you can ever have with anything else.
0: Yeah. Um. Astonishing uh, statement there. I want to come to our boys in the studio to respond on that. Henry and Ian, the Bosch boys. You're listening to that there. Uh, we're hunter-gatherers. I must disguise. I'm a meat eater. I'm happy to eat vegan and vegetarian food as well, but I am a carnivore as well. Uh, uh, killing a cow, kinda. What do you make of that?
1: I mean, I think we heard um, we heard a load of anecdotes there. So it's, it's great to hear from a farmer. And you're right, every vegan does need a farmer. And, of course, like we, even Ian's family were farmers, so we don't necessarily have anything against farmers. But the problem is when you don't look at the science and you can say, you know, these random statistics like kill a cow, that will feed a family, but the reality is your farm can't feed the United Kingdom and farms like yours can't feed the United Kingdom. And, in fact, if we expand that out to think about the world, if we want to keep eating meat at the rate we're eating meat today, we will need 1.7 planets by 2050. There just isn't enough land for our current appetite to meet. So we are urging people to eat more plant-based proteins. It's a great technology. It's not dying in any way, shape or form. In fact, it's growing. It's kind of weird to just pull one company's sales and use that to say that the market has died. Um, And we should all realise this is a wonderful new technology and protein can come from plants as well as from animals. Anything to add? Uh, Yeah, I mean... Basically, my, my grandfather, grandfather was a farmer, and I recognise that he was arguably the hardest working person that I have ever had the fortune of, of coming into contact with. And you're right, we do need farmers, absolutely. And our argument isn't with the smaller farmers in Wales who are doing, like, organically raised uh, beef, and ca- uh, beef and lamb. Our real issue is with massive... Factory farms that mm. are basically just churning out animals at an unsustainable level and destroying everything in their path. Like that is something that we I think we can all agree on is just completely wrong. But also what was just mentioned is the fact that you know the United Kingdom is a temperate climate, but we should climate, but we should all be aware that we've got a climate emergency going on right mm. now. We're looking at one degree of warming, two degrees of warming, three degrees of warming. You know, we're not far off. We're getting 40 degrees happening in mm. summer. We're not far, far off moving towards a more Mediterranean climate. And you might find rather than vegans being a threat to your farms, we might actually find that, you know, the climate is going to be a problem, whether it's wildfires, whether it's different crops, won't grow on your lands, you won't be able to raise sheep mm. because it's too warm. You're actually probably going to struggle more from the climate than from vegans.
0: Given the rather damp scrub of a summer we've had this year, a lot of people saying, ah, oh, what climate yeah. emergency? But of course, there are shores other than the United Kingdom. In uh, South America, they clear ways of forests to feed cows. You know, that is one of the claims mm. about why we should move away from farming. Gareth, I want to come back to you because you said you didn't feel threatened by vegans vegans because they represent such a small uh, proportion of sales and of food and farming in this country but at the same time it seems like you really don't like them
6: no, I've got to agree with the meat vegan in the middle. Sorry, I'm not sure what your name is, but, um, you know, I, I agree with you. Cheap food comes at a price. So cheap food comes at a price to the environment. It comes at a price to the animal and it comes at a price to the farmer. So we need to address that. One third of the food we're producing in this country goes into landfill. So we need to address that. You know, um, I'm not saying that we're perfect by a long way, but we need to be working together. We need to look at ways to find regenerative answers to food production. We need to be look at seasonality. You know, I love it. You know, follow follow my page. There's a million people on social media that follow me every day. I've got 790,000 followers on YouTube. So, you know, I'm, I'm a... Bit of a, a guy on on social media as well. Most probably you've never heard of me, but you know I, Gareth I do.
0: Gareth uh, Gareth wynn Jones on social media. If you want to look him up, come on, let's have a let's have a YouTube off Aren't then, you guys. The, the What's the nation's
1: your... most popular farmer? We heard.
6: Uh Well, I've been called other things, but that's that's maybe coming from other. <laughs> so we, we <laughs> thought
1: that was Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs>
6: hey, hey, everybody's got a favourite farmer. That's up to them. Jeremy's done his thing, but you know he's a newbie into the farming um, community and he's doing a great job fantastic job you know so is Caleb but I, I'm trying to tell you I've had 375 years of history on this farm you know I love what I do and, and you boys want to come up I'll show you I had Tim Sheafer here many years ago with Country File. I took him onto this farm he was a vegan free runner I took him onto the mountain I explained to him how I grow my own food you know I, I've got a little veg pot just behind me here I've got my own polytunnel. I am trying to be as self-sustained as possible. I even produce my own cider. You know, I'm I'm trying to bring things back to normality so people can enjoy food. And and I don't care what your diet is. Mm. If people think I hate vegans, that's that's rubbish. But what I do hate is the misleading propaganda. We need to work together, boys. We need to bring that collective together mm. and we can eat meat we can do it in a regenerative and sustainable way. And we need the these ruminants to produce mm. the fantastic soil to grow your vegetables as well. So we need to work together. Mm. So, that, also, so obviously we're not farmers, but we do
1: understand and you know we want to work together and we wanna we wanna find the right answer for the United Kingdom. I guess one of the things we don't want to miss though is the science. And if you look at Joseph Paul's study at Oxford University, you do see that regardless of where the meat was farmed, it is more polluting, it gives off more CO2 than any plant food, and we've just got to bear that in mind. So we're not urging everyone to go vegan, but we are urging everybody to understand the truth that if you are eating meat, it is going to be a more polluting choice, which you are free to make.
0: Gareth, you can quickly give a response. We're running short of time. Go on.
6: Listen, you're misleading people. It's a cycle, okay? It's Oxford the grass, University so, study. The grass, no, no, no. Listen, Oxford University can stick to so Oxford study. University are misleading uh, you, people. Oxford University can put their studies up their backside because I have understood a lot more about that carbon cycle and what it's done. And, you know, have a look at what the Bannerman Project's doing down in Cornwall. They're catching the methane from cows who, and they're putting it into a tractor, they are going off grid by using that me thing. There's a lot of technology out there, that Oxford University, it depends who pays the bills and who is putting money into that research. I, look, I'm a farmer. I've got money in this game. I want my children to do what I'm doing for the next generation. I'm not disputing that there's problems. But Oxford University have got this wrong. Livestock and farmers are part of the solution. And if we don't work together, and if you keep pointing fingers, we are going to be sleepwalking into food shortages. You are gonna need a farmer every single day of your life. Doesn't matter where you live in the world.
0: We you had your chance to uh, rebut that there, the Oxford University report. Guys, look, it's been great having you all on. And we've heard about Gareth's YouTube channel you've got a YouTube channel too, the Bosch Boys, they've got a book out today as well, Bosch Meat, there you go, it's a bit of a plug for you. And thank you all very much for coming in for that debate. On Centred Next Tonight, we pay tribute to veteran broadcaster and the king of British chat show, Sir Michael Parkinson, who sadly passed away at the age of 88.
2: To save a customer up to £450 on their car insurance.
4: Good. And the rest of you? On track to deliver savings on home insurance and credit cards within the hour. I'll hold you to that. The rest of you step on it. Savings can't wait. See how much you could
2: save today with Money Supermarket. 51% 51% of consumers could save up to 451 pounds and nine pence. Consumer Intelligence May 2023 UK only Your way
5: from driveway to motorway Talk Radio Travel Update
8: Day 12 northbound in Essex is partially blocked or skewing traffic following an accident at Wytham North The AM62 eastbound in Cheshire lanes now reopened a broken down van has been removed just after junction 11 of Birchwood Way and 23 southbound in Surrey Lane closure following a broken down vehicle from Galwick Airport at junction 9 and AM 42 northbound in Worcestershire Currently, a lane closure following an accident involving two lorries in a van at Junction 3, and that's going towards Redditch and Junction 3A, the M40 interchange. So, expect delays on approach. That's latest by Megan Mickey.
1: Talk radio powered by common sense, activated by opinion.
4: Free speech radio on the
1: app, on your smart speaker,
5: and on the money. Talk radio. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Clear-headed, honest opinion. Watch live on Freesat Channel 217. On
1: Apple TV and Samsung TV Plus.
5: Listen live on DAB Plus. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV. And get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Coming up on the talk, the education secretary says A-level grades are back to normal as tens of thousands miss out on top marks on results day. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak bats away calls to put the government's net zero policy to a public vote and will be remembering iconic broadcaster Sir Michael Parkinson. That's all at nine o'clock.
0: Welcome back to Uncensored. Now, today we learned the sad news of the passing of TV legend Sir Michael Parkinson, the legendary pop broadcaster and king of the chat show. He interviewed over, get this, 2,000 guests over a 50-year career. Let's take a look at some of those most memorable moments.
6: This is the moment. (laughs) Why is it so aggressive? It's not aggressive. (laughs) Do you feel that David is perhaps better, has a better public persona?
4: I can name golden balls, we'll you know, now because I mean. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Boys used to come and practice kissing on me. Oh,
8: do they? <laughs> <laughs> Why is the Lord's Supper all white men? Even the angels.
5: I said, Mother, well, what happened to all the black angels when they took the pictures? <laughs>
0: Now oh, back with me to remember the TV legend. I'm joined again by my pack, Paula, Isabel, and Richard. All three of you, thank, thank you. Ah, you. Oh, you know. We're all smiling during that. He was a star. He uh, passed away, 88 years old today, surrounded by family. He had such a long career. I can't believe how many interviews he did. Mm. And one of the common refrains I'm seeing people say about him, which I would agree with, is he always made it about his guests rather than about himself.
2: Absolutely. When I was thinking about him today, um, I, there were two points. And actually, you've shown both of them, the emu, Rod and Emu, which was my childhood, um, and then the Muhammad Ali interview. So as a child, I remember the Rod and Emu. Um, well, I'm sat and watched that, and just was just um, shocked. It was like horrifying. They were rolling around on the floor, and that you know you just didn't do that in those days on TV. Um, and then as an adult, I watched the Muhammad Ali interview mm. and understood as an adult how important that interview was. So he was able to reach a child at the same time, also able to reach an adult, and that is quite impressive as a presenter to do.
0: Isabel's favourite interview.
2: Um, I really like the Ali G one. where <laughs> oh, I mean, Sasha
0: Baron one. Cohen, yes. where
3: you know he's in character, and somehow to pull that off is quite difficult, isn't mm. it? You know, and a lot of actors do do this. They'll go into other characters while they're being interviewed, when the interview's actually about themselves, not their character. Mm. But he handled that so deftly, and it was really funny. I mean, you probably can't play clips of it now <laughs> because some of it is uh, a little bit edgy. I think we could say.
5: Yeah. <laughs> For me, it was actually the Dame Edna Everidge interview with uh, Dame Judi Dench and our own Sharon Osborne uh, back in two thousand and four, which I watched again today. I mean, it was just absolutely hysterical. And in true Dame Edna style, she he, she he took over the interview and became the interviewer, and we started interviewing Parky. And but that was part of his success, wasn't it? It was it was sort of giving. Uh, giving the floor to the guest mm. and, and really letting them just uh, just come out and, and just go for it. And he, was, he had a very subtle style, a bit they like Wogan. They. It, was, it mm. was just very clever, very engaging. And, OK, there were less TV stations then, um, but the, you know, the, the audiences were millions and millions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, people would, would literally leave the pub to get home early to watch Parky. You know, it was yeah. that significant.
0: Appointment television, he was warm, he was relatable, he was smart, he knew his guests well. You know who did one of his later interviews? Piers Morgan, take a look.
1: I love my father, my father was the best man I ever met. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, you've had a good life, haven't you? I said, I have done. He said, and you uh, met a bob or two. I said, that's true. He said "You've interviewed some fantastic people, some beautiful women, but it's not like playing cricket for Yorkshire, is it? <laughs>
0: great isn't it do you think we'll ever see his like again paula
2: (sighs) well do you know what i was going to say uh, i was going to stick my neck out here and the most beautiful accent on tv Mm. and we don't get enough of the accents on tv Mm. um and i think that was part of the attraction for him he wasn't just this london presenter Mm. he was able to connect with the whole of the country, wasn't he? Mm. Um, Will we see him again? I don't know. uh, No. Mm. Somebody new, somebody different is going to have to come along. Um, But will his shoes ever be filled? No.
0: Are you saying this studio here with four British, uh, Southern British, London-sounding broadcasters is not? <laughs> and, and, and there it is. On, yeah. isn't it? And our, there
3: it is. Our very own Piers Morgan, I think, is absolutely <laughs> well, on every day a substitute. You know what? Um, I mean, he lands the big interviews too. We're looking we? for a new king,
5: mm.
2: aren't we? We're looking for a new king. I just think. <laughs> Don't give
5: Piers ideas. I just think
2: it's a bit early to to suggest. That, you know, it's like when we lost Silla Black. Yeah. There, there was just nobody. No, that's was true. Yeah, wasn't yeah. it? There yeah. was just nobody that you could think of who was going to be able to fill her shoes
5: and I guess the world's a more sort of divisive uh, place where there's more seems to be more controversy right. he was able to conduct his interviews in a, it's
2: just not a party politi- it
3: wasn't political it was not it was it was, was just it? in a
5: more even-handed gentle way and I'm not yeah. sure we quite have that that level of, of of gentle approach in in the interviews I mean mm. someone will tell me I've missed out X or y but mm. you get the point.
0: That is all we have time for. Whatever you're up to, make sure it is uncensored. Good night.
4: The following are assembly instructions for a day trip at IKEA. Take
5: eight
8: plump meatballs at least, and one bed that doubles as a bouncy castle. Add